Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Good morning, friends, and welcome back to this episode of Everyday Truth. We've been uh, sharing some missionary prayer cards here recently, and today I've got the prayer card for Andrew and Sean Canavan. So I've known the Canavans for a number of years, faithful missionaries to Ireland. Uh, Andrew grew up there on the field. He's helping mom and dad uh, for now, but starting a church. And we're excited about uh, what the Canavans are doing in a really needy country there in Ireland. So pray for them today. If you think about it, uh, we are in Mark chapter 14, and we have just finished this section. In fact, we took a, a lot of time on it over the last couple episodes about the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. In many respects, the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane was the the victory that Jesus won. Uh, he won the victory before he ever got to the cross. It's the victory, because the victory in life is really a victory over self, isn't it? Not that Jesus was a sinner who needed victory over himself, but the point here is this, that Jesus came to a place of ultimate and complete surrender. What a great example for you and for me. Because in the decisions that we make, the actual follow-through on the action is predicated upon the submissive heart of decision ahead of that action. So it's, Lord, take me, use me, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Uh, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And when that's our heartfelt desire of faith and repentance— then the action is simply going to be an indication of the reality of that submission. So in that sense, the cross was simply an active indication of the reality of the submission that Jesus had rendered right here in the garden. Almost every important thing that God did in the Bible, he did it in a garden, didn't he? Whether it was the rescue of Adam and Eve, the, the creation of Adam and Eve in a garden, the rescue, uh, the seeking for them in that garden, the, the prayer, the victory won in this garden, uh, the rising from the tomb in the garden, the garden tomb. So the garden uh, features so largely in the redemptive plan of God. Look at verse number 43. The Bible says, and immediately, so Jesus had just warned his disciples, hey, it's too late. Don't bother starting to pray right now. The time of betrayal is here. We've got to get up now because we're about to. The betrayer is right here and immediately. Do you see that in verse number 43? And immediately, while he yet spake, as Jesus was uttering these words to those disciples, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, spears, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So who are these people that are coming in the middle of the night to arrest Jesus? Well, they are the representatives of the high priest. So the high priest at this time is Caiaphas, and as we have 
reiterated here, uh, Caiaphas has had it out for Jesus for some time, for six weeks, really, since the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Caiaphas has made it known publicly and throughout that region that I am after Jesus. Now, why had he not arrested Jesus when he had opportunity? After all, Jesus has been in Jerusalem all week long. It's not as if he's been hiding. He overturned the money changers' tables. He's been in the temple daily teaching, and yet they've not arrested him there. You know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is that Caiaphas, yes, has wanted to arrest Jesus, but also at the same time, he's wanted to retain the popularity that he thinks he has among the people. So how can I juxtapose those two realities? How can I get Jesus, but also get approval? And the answer is, well, I have the help of Judas. He's an inside man. He's one of the 12. He's given me the perfect place, the perfect time to arrest Jesus outside of the public eye so that I can come up with an accusation in the middle of the night and take care of this situation in a duplicitous way. And that's exactly what's happening here. And what a show of force as he comes with a multitude of soldiers. Now, these aren't Roman soldiers. Uh, These are temple guardsmen that are coming in, representing the high priest and the scribes, the Sanhedrin council. And they're coming in to arrest the Lord uh, that night. It's interesting because the Bible says that he could have called uh, legions of angels uh, to come, thousands and tens of thousands uh, of angels to come and to save him on that night. I mean, you talk about a show of force. Uh, Caiaphas is showing force, but it's nothing compared. Jesus could have flicked that force away with the snap of a finger. In fact, the parallel passage in John tells us that when these soldiers said to him, you know, are you uh, this Jesus of Nazareth? He said, I am. And when he uttered the words, I am, they all fell backward. Just the mention of his name, Jehovah God, the I am, the self-existent God, blew them away backward. I mean, this was, you talk about power. Jesus didn't go to Calvary because he was dragged there. Jesus went to Calvary because he walked there on mission, on point from his father who had sent him. He was fulfilling, willingly fulfilling the will of his father, not begrudgingly being dragged according to the will of men. There's a big difference. Now look at verse number 44. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, So Judas had this uh, predetermined sign that he had given to the soldiers, and that was, hey, we're going to go find him. I know it's a dark night. Uh, Everyone kind of looks alike. They all have beards, and they all kind of look the same, especially in the dark night. So I'm going to go greet him. So the kiss of greeting was common. So I'm going to go greet him. The one that I kiss, that's the guy. So the Bible says in verse number thirty. 44, that he that betrayed him had given them a token saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him, lead him away safely. Interesting how Judas, we don't know what his motive was. We know partly that his motive was money. 
and greed, but it could be that Judas thought as well, hey, uh, I'm just kind of I'm just the tool that's making this happen. Jesus has already talked about being arrested. He's already talked about suffering things of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. He's been talking about that for months. He's talking about dying. So I'm just going to facilitate it and make money on what's already going to happen anyway. And sometimes that's uh, that's our philosophy. Well, you know, we're going to sin anyway. It's going to happen anyway. I might as well just know it must needs be that offenses will come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So Judas, whatever his mindset was, it was entirely skewed. And watch what happens in verse number 45. 45. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him. He made a beeline for Jesus and uh, saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. So feigned respect in words feigned respect in action, master, master. Anytime a, 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 a title or a name was repeated in the Bible, it was a term of endearment. So Lord, Lord, or Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered about much serving. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. Anytime a name was repeated, it was a term of endearment. So Judas was saying, master, master, and gave him a kiss. It's the ultimate betrayal because it's not the betrayal of an enemy or of a sworn opponent. It's the betrayal of a close and intimate friend. Isn't that what David said in the Psalms when he said, boy, if I had been betrayed by an enemy, if I'd been betrayed by somebody whom I would have expected to betray me, I could have handled it. But no, it was you, my own and dear and trusted friend. And perhaps he was speaking about his counselor, Ahithophel. But whatever the case was, it's obviously much harder to bear when the betrayal is somebody who is so close and intimate with us. Look at verse number 46. And they laid their hands on him and took him. So they arrested him. Now, we're not putting in all the other events that took place in some of the other passages, but there is one event here that's very interesting, and I want you to see it in verse number 47. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, we know who that was. That was, that was Peter. And true to form, Peter had said, I will fight with you. I will die for you. There were only two swords that were even in the entire disciple band. And is it not interesting that Peter had one of those two swords? And I don't think he was aiming for a surgical cut of the ear. I think he was trying to lop that guy's head off. And perhaps he ducked, but he got his ear. And remember, uh, the Bible teaches in the parallel passage, I think it's John, that Jesus healed that man. His man was The man's name was Malchus. And so here is... Peter trying to solve the problem through the strength of the flesh. He's trying to fight. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And this is Peter on a suicide mission. If he hopes through his military expertise or his swordmanship to be able to fight against a multitude of people with swords and spears, of course not. This is not a physical battle. Uh, Peter, you've already lost this battle. This battle has already been lost because it was a spiritual battle and you didn't see it. 
you didn't watch and pray, you're already set up for failure. And Jesus has already won this battle. The one you think you need to fight for him, it's already won. He already won that battle. He prayed. He submitted. He's doing the will of his father. He's not being taken and seized and dragged. No, he's willingly going and submitting and giving his life as a ransom for all. Look at verse number 48. Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not, but the scripture must be fulfilled. So he's referencing Isaiah chapter 53 and saying, listen, all of this was part of the plan of God. All of this is in the scope of God's will. I've been praying about this. I've been waiting on you. But he does kind of call a rebuke upon them when he says, hey, let me just call you out. You, If you really had courage, you would have arrested me in the middle of the day. I, in other words, I know your motive. I know what you're doing. I know that the strength you think you have, but I want you to know right now that none of this has to do with you. All of this has to do with the plan of Almighty God. You think in the middle of the night with all of your weaponry that you're in control, but you're not in control. I am in control. My Father is in control. The scriptures have predicted this. This is all part of the plan of God. So Jesus is in complete peace at one of the times in his life where there's no peace, circumstantially. But what we're going to find is that those who did not pray, those who did not trust, those that were following the Lord, they experienced anything but peace on that night. And we'll talk about that next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. Thanks for joining us today. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.